0: Let's pray, and we'll open up God's Word. Father, I pray that you would give us soft hearts today, that you would subdue pride or sin or rebellion or unbelief, and that we would hear your Word with soft hearts, with good soil and that fruit would grow as a result. Do that now in each of our hearts by the work of your Spirit. And I pray for wisdom for me, and the right heart, and faithfulness to your scriptures, and the message of these verses is so powerful, and so life-giving. I pray that you would do a mighty work in each of our hearts now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Don't be bashful about this. We'd like to bring you a Bible that you can use this morning. As we always say, the Bible's words are the most important words you will hear by far this morning, and so we want you to have the Scriptures open in front of you so that you can see if what I'm saying fits the Scriptures, right? We've all got the Scriptures. You want to test what you're hearing And you want to make sure that I'm being faithful to the Word. And so the Word is what is God's Word. So we want to have the Word open in front of us. And while you're turning there, by the way, Psalm 119 is on page 512 in the Bibles that we just passed out now. And while you're turning there, let me just mention that, you know, when you start to read the Bible... Uh, it does not take too long before you you hear loud and clear in the Bible that followers of Jesus do go through trials and problems and hard times. It is not the case that the closer you are to Jesus, the few trials you have. That's just nowhere in the Bible. All through the Bible we read that when we follow Jesus for his sake on the path of trusting him and the path of sacrificial love for people around us alleviating suffering wherever we can, especially eternal suffering as we walk that path with Jesus. Jesus seems to go out of his way to remind us, you know, that path is going to mean suffering. So we should not be surprised when trials, problems, and suffering come our way. So you might ask, well, then where's the good news? And the good news is that trials, number one, are temporary, right? Heaven's coming, no trials in heaven. Here we're at war, we're battling for the souls of men and women, we're following Jesus Christ, Satan's opposing, so there will be trials here. God's in sovereign control of what happens here, but here there will be trials, but trials are temporary, that's one reason there's good news. And the second reason there's good news is that in the deepest, darkest problems and trials that we face here, when we turn to Jesus Christ, he will meet us and comfort us and strengthen us, and encourage us, and guide us, and direct us, and bring us everything we need in the midst of those trials. And that's what we see in today's passage, in Psalm 119. Because in today's passage, as I study this, what I saw, and I want to see if you see this, is that the author's telling us about a, a life-threatening problem that he's facing, And the reason he wants to mention this life-threatening problem that he's facing is because he then wants to describe for us what godly people do when they face life-threatening problems. What do we do? How should we respond to problems? And so that's what he talks about in Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. So let's read those verses, and I want you to be on the lookout. What is the problem that he's facing? Okay, let's see if we can find that. Start with verse 17. He's praying and he says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So what problem did the author face? Did you see it? I think it's right there in verse 23. He says, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. So there were princes. So princes aren't as powerful as kings, but they're more powerful than people who aren't princes. Okay, princes have some level of political authority. And the author of this psalm knows that there were some princes who were sitting. They'd, they'd come together. They'd, they'd say, let's have a meeting. Um, they, they, they wanted to plot against the psalmist who writes this. Now, what were they plotting to do to him? I think there's a pretty clear clue in verse 17. Notice what he prays in that verse. He says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. That's a, he's praying that God will help him to live. Keep me alive. So I think what's happening here is these princes who had some level of political authority were gathering together and they were plotting about how to take his life. How can we kill him? That's what they were, were plotting about. And so it's clear that the author was facing a problem. And it's, just a, it's a big problem, not just a minor problem. Powerful men planning to kill him. And the reason he tells us about this problem is because he wants to describe how he responded. What did he do about this problem? So now before we look at what he did, about this problem, uh, I want you to think about what do you usually do when you face a problem? Okay, I would guess a number of us have, have problems right now, but what do you usually do? I mean, really look down inside your heart and ask, what do you do when you face problems? Think about like work problems, problems with your, your kids maybe, health problems, financial problems, uh, relational problems. What do you do? We all have problems. What do you do when, when problems come up? I mean, some people, maybe you're the type of person, you pull out a pad of paper, you start writing down what you're going to do about it. Okay, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Okay, nothing wrong with that. That can be helpful. Uh, maybe you have a different bent. Maybe you just like curl up in the fetal position and, and watch TV for a while, <laughs> try to get it out of your mind. Or you just like pretend it's not there. Or you have another glass of wine. Or you know, call up somebody and vent. Or all different kinds of things. But, but ask yourself, what do you do? I mean, really, in, in, in your heart of hearts, what do you do when you face a problem? Now, with that in mind, let's look at what the author does. What does the author do when he faces a problem? First, verse nineteen. Really powerful what what he says here. I am a sojourner on the earth, and so. He starts off, I think that's kind of like the foundation place for seeing, he is a a sojourner. Now that word sojourner in the Hebrew means a temporary resident. He's a temporary resident on the earth. And the reason he says he's a temporary resident on the earth is because he knows that he's going to be a permanent resident where? In heaven. Okay? Okay? So he is a temporary resident on the earth, he will be a permanent resident in heaven, which means that whatever problem he's facing here is temporary. It's not the ultimate issue. Through faith in Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, and again, Jesus' death applied retroactively to Old Testament believers, proactively to us, retroactively to them, so we can speak of, by Jesus Christ's death on the cross, Jesus had paid for all of this man's sins, he was trusting in Christ, his Eternity was secure, he was forgiven, clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, and he knew that whatever problems he faced here on the earth were temporary. I think about 2 Corinthians 4, 14. These trials are momentary light afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. And so I just want to encourage you to have this be one of the very first things you think about because this immediately puts whatever problem you're facing into perspective. It doesn't mean you just will smile and your problem's not a problem. It's a problem. You can weep over your problem. You can sorrow over your problem. You can grieve over your problem. Those can all be holy, biblical, godly responses. But you will not grieve over your problem as those without hope. Because your hope is heaven. It is rock-solid, secure. No problem you face in this life is going to rock that. Do you understand that? But see, if we don't go there... You, if you're like me, your problem is like, ah, everything is about this, right? A few of you people are, are agreeing. Okay, so that's why we've got to start by saying, I am a sojourner on the earth. I am a temporary resident here. I'm going to be a permanent resident in heaven. And so that puts every trial, every sorrow, as grievous and as sorrowful and as difficult and as painful as they can be, It puts them on a a floor of hope. So we grieve, but not as those without hope, as Paul says. So that's a crucial first step to put perspective and context around your problems. So these men are plotting to take my life. Well, you know, I'm just passing through anyway. I'm a permanent resident of heaven. I'm going to be going home. And that would have brought a a strength and a peace and a confidence underneath him as he anticipated this problem that he was facing second step he asks God to solve this problem I think that's what he's doing in verse 17 deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. He's asking God, protect me from these plotters. Keep me alive so I can continue to fulfill your call on my life in obeying your word. Then look at what he prays in verse 22. I'm sorry, look at verses 21 and 22 together. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones, who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. What's he talking about here? Well, I think these insolent, accursed ones are the same ones who are, are plotting his death. Right? Just to take the whole passage together, that, that's, what, that's the context, I think that makes sense. And then when he says, take away from me scorn and contempt, he's, saying, he's talking about the scorn and contempt that these plotters have for him. So he's saying, protect me from the scorn and contempt of these plotters, these evil plotters, these ungodly plotters who are seeking to take my life. So what he's doing in verse 17 and 21 and 22 is he's asking God, deliver me from this problem. So we start by saying, I'm a sojourner on the earth. I'm just passing through. That puts perspective and context on on my problems so I realize my my ultimate hope is not jeopardized by this. It puts into perspective. And then he asks God, deliver me from this problem. Take this problem away. How, How many problems do you have that you don't ever stop and sit down and put everything else aside and pray and say, God, would you take this problem away, please, in Jesus' name? How many problems do you face where we don't do that? Oh, I got my list. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and yeah, I'm going to do this, and, and then you start getting to work. But but have you stopped and asked the, the sovereign ruler of the universe to take care of that problem? I mean, think of of all the ways that we see and read about God working Um, In the scriptures, ways he has solved problems. I made a list here. Israel faced a famine. God supernaturally provided for Israel. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. I just read this last week in my Bible reading. And they cried out to God. God heard and God delivered them with great signs and wonders from Egypt and their slavery. Jehoshaphat needed wisdom at one point. Armies are running towards him, you know, from all sides. God, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And God spoke supernaturally and told them exactly what to do. And they were delivered from the marauding armies that were coming to conquer them. Elijah needed food during a famine. And God brought him food through a raven and through a creek, right? Hezekiah was sick and dying. And he asked God, heal me. And God said, I'm going to give you more years, supernaturally stayed his sickness. And the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. But how many times do we face problems? And we don't ever stop and sit down and put everything else aside and say, God, ruler of the universe, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. Would you please heal me? Would you please take care of finances? Would you give me wisdom? Would you provide for this? Would you, would you work in my child's heart? Whatever it might be. Now, it's important to, to point out that God knows best how to answer our prayers. He is perfect in wisdom. He is flawlessly good. We are not. Okay? Sometimes God knows that what's best is that he delivers us from our problems. And so he does that miraculously. Problems are gone, taken away. Because sometimes he knows that what's best is to have our problems be taken from us. At other times, he knows that what's best is to have the problems stay because he will use those problems to bring us even sweeter, closer, deeper fellowship with him. He knows what's best. Our job is to pray. We ask God to work. And then we trust that he will either do what we're asking or something even better, which we probably wouldn't have had had we not not asked. So this is the second step I want to direct your attention to. Stop and ask God to deliver you from the problem. Pray, Father, please, spare me from these men who are plotting. Let me live so I can continue to obey the call of my life through your word. And third, I want to mention, this is very powerful. He asks God to open his eyes so he can see wondrous things in the Bible. Look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now that is a very strange thing to pray if you stop and think about it. Open my eyes that I can behold wonderful things from your law. What he's saying is, I mean, just think about this, is that when you read the Bible, sometimes your eyes are open and you're you're able to see wondrous things from God's word. But sometimes when you read the Bible, your eyes are not open and you're not able to see wondrous things from God's word. Isn't that what he's saying? Do you see how strange that is? He's saying that sometimes when you read the Bible your eyes are are open and you're able to see wondrous things from God's word. But other times when you read the Bible your eyes are not open. and you're not able to see wondrous things from God's word. And when your eyes are closed and you're not even able to see wondrous things from God's word it takes God's power to open your eyes so that you can see wondrous things from God's word. It's getting stranger. This is a very strange thing. And when you come upon verses like this in the Bible stop and think about them. Because this is God's word. This is something that i got to figure out. If I don't understand this, and that's some way that God's word wants to teach me something new. And so you ponder. Now, what kind of eyes is he talking about? I ask myself that question. What kind of eyes is he talking about? It can't be the eyes in our head, because every time you read, your eyes are open doing that, right? Reading, 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 right? I don't need to ask God, Open my eyes so I can read. I just open, praise God, I can do that, alright? So you can too. Okay? So it can't be the eyes of our of our head. So what kind of eyes is he talking about? Now to answer that, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 16 through 18. Ephesians 1. Now this is on page 976. This is so encouraging. And I think potentially life-changing for us, church, if we will see this and understand this. When I first saw this, this was years ago, but it, I don't want to overstate it, it deeply impacted my Christian life. And I, I hope I can explain what's going on here. Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. Look at what Paul says he prays for believers, for the church there located in Ephesus. Look at what he prays for them. He says... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's just another way of describing he's praying for the Holy Spirit's work of giving people wisdom and revelation in knowing God. And then look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts... Enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So see, here Paul is praying for believers, and he's asking God to do for those believers exactly the same thing that the psalmist in Psalm 119 is asking God to do for him. But here Paul tells us more about what are these eyes that the psalmist is praying about in Psalm 119. And Paul says that the eyes are the eyes of our hearts. Eyes of our hearts. And we all know we have eyes in our heads, but did you know you have eyes in your heart? So as I thought about this, what's going on here is that we do have two different sets of eyes. You have eyes in your head, which enable you to to know, see the facts. You see the truth. Like I can open up, I can read Jesus died on the cross. I can, I can see that truth. My eyes, the eyes of my head can see that. Okay, But we also have eyes of our hearts by which we feel the truth. Eyes in our heads, seeing the truth. Eyes in our hearts, feeling the truth. So when we open up the Bible... The eyes of our heads can look at a verse, like just take, for example, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. Okay? The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I I can read that with the eyes of my head. Jesus gave himself for me on the cross. I I can read that and I can see the truth of that with the eyes of my head. Okay? But... So often we can read a truth like that and and instead of feeling Jesus gave himself up for me in the cross he loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the God of the universe on the cross there nailed to a cross god on the cross suffering for my sin. That's what my sin deserves that horrifying punishment and he's paying that for me. Look at the love that's there. Look at the beauty that's there. I'm forgiven through Christ. Instead of that, we just read, "Uh, he loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay, I, I understand that. What's the next verse say? See the difference? So often we can read, and the eyes of our head are seeing the truth, but the eyes of our hearts are blind to the truth. Now, why does that happen? It happens because sin grows up over the eyes of our hearts, kind of like a cataract, Okay, my dad had cataract surgery a week ago Thursday. It went very well. But again, cataract is something that grows up over the lens of your eye and keeps you from seeing as clearly. Things get fuzzy, right? There's a film over there, and then cataract surgery. They go and they cut the cataract out, and you can see clearly again. Sin is like a cataract that grows up over the eyes of your heart, and it clouds your ability to feel the truth of what's there in, in God's Word. But here's the good news. When you turn to Jesus Christ first time and you you trust him to forgive you and to save you and to change you and to satisfy you, at that moment, that sin which has grown up over the eyes of your heart is cut away and for the first time you see and feel the truth of who Jesus is. You are glorious. I love you. You're my savior. I'm forgiven. I know you forever. Remember that? The first time you not just saw but felt the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul, oh no, before I go there, you might ask, well, then why does the author, why does the psalmist pray, open my eyes? Hasn't he already had his eyes opened when he was saved? Why does Paul pray for the believers in Ephesus to have their hearts enlightened? Hasn't that already happened when they were saved? It did happen when they were saved. But when we're saved, all of our sin isn't removed from us, right? We have remaining sin indwelling sin, we won't be free from sin totally until heaven, and so every day, sin is like growing, trying to grow up over the eyes of your heart, every day, right, growing, right now it's growing, growing, okay, right, it is, I mean, I have times where I open up the Bible, and it's just like, I can understand the sentences, but my heart is just not resonating at all, I mean, I'm reading things that should make me dance, or weep, or shout, or be at peace, is just like, uh, you know, right? That's what's happened. Sin grows up over the eyes of our hearts. And so that's why Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of your calling. And he can just say, you've got a hopeful calling, but the eyes of their hearts need to be enlightened so that they not just know the fact about that, but Oh, the hope of my calling. I'm going to be face to face with Jesus Christ. No more death, no more crying, no more pain with all the redeemed worshiping the lamb that was slain. What a hope! Because you're feeling that. Not just knowing it, but experiencing it, feeling it, sensing it. That's why Paul prays that for the church in Ephesus. And that's why the psalmist prays, Open my eyes that I can behold wondrous things from your law. Sin's creeping up. Pride is blinding me. Lust is blinding me. Greed is blinding me. Unbelief is blinding me. Open my eyes so that I can behold wonderful things from from your law. And when we pray that, he will. He will cut away that cataract. He will cut away that growth of sin. That's why Paul prays this for the church at Ephesus, and that's why the psalmist prays this as well. Now, I think this might be really, really encouraging for many of you. I think it should be. I hope hope you'll see why. I went for years as a Christian without understanding this, and struggled and struggled and struggled to read the Bible. Uh, And and maybe some of you don't realize that the, the eyes of your head are working fine, but the eyes of your heart are clouded by sin. And you may not realize that the, you had eyes in your heart that are, that, that, that are the capacity by which you see and feel the, the glory, the beauty, the majesty, the wonder, the holiness of God, the, the awesome sovereignty of God, the, the wickedness of your sin, the certainty of heaven, the joys of forgiveness. That's the eyes of your heart. And you may not realize that sin can keep you from feeling the truth of who Jesus is and what, what he's done through, the, through his death on the cross. So if you don't know that the eyes that you have eyes of your heart that can become blinded by sin, and if you don't know that you can ask God to open your eyes and lighten the eyes of your heart and that he will cut away that sin so that you can see, then you can just keep reading chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter and there's just nothing, there's, nothing's happening. Your heart's just like, uh, okay, just nothing happening. And so I hope, you see, this is good news. Because it's not just you. It's not your problem. This is our problem. We all feel that, experience that often. I do. You do. We all do. But we don't need to stay there. Because if we will understand that sin can grow up over the eyes of our hearts, or we're blinded and not able to feel the truth, then we can say, Father, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I can behold wonderful things from my law. My, the eyes of my head are working fine. I can see the truth, and I, I do want to do that, but open the eyes of my heart. And then we confess whatever sin we're aware of. That's a crucial part. that we're, we're laying it all down before the cross. If you're holding on to known sin, you can pray, open my eyes, open my eyes, open my eyes. You're keeping your eyes closed then. Confess it, and then open my eyes. And he will go to work. This is so encouraging. I I hope none of you are in a pattern uh, or or would continue to be in a pattern of reading and reading and reading and just saying, the Bible just doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me. Pray, open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from, from your law. This is good news. Now let me give you an example from Sarah Edwards about how she experienced this. Sarah Edwards was the wife of Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes, and she lived in the 1700s, and she has an amazing experience of God doing this. But I want to throw out two cautions about this illustration, okay? One caution. I'm not sharing this with you because this is the exact same experience we will all have. Not so. Nor will our experience be at the same degree as hers was. Okay? I've never experienced anything like this, okay? I'm happy with just... I mean, any sense of my heart being stirred is like, thank you, Lord, thank you. Okay, so, But I want to share this with you just so you'll see, oh, this is what we're talking about. We're talking eyes of your heart being opened here in this case. So here's what happened with Sarah. She was reading Romans 8.34, which says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So she was reading that verse, and then here's what she said happened. Get this up here? If we could, that'd be great. You can all read along. She says, When I was alone, the words came to my mind with great power and sweetness. They appeared to me with undoubted certainty as the words of God and as words which God was actually speaking personally to me. I had no more doubts of it than I had of my own being. I cannot find language to express how certain this appeared. My safety and happiness and eternal enjoyment of God's love seemed as durable and unchangeable as God himself. Melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, I fell into a great flow of tears. The presence of God was so near and so real that I was scarcely conscious of anything else. God was opening Sarah Edwards' eyes to behold wonderful things from God's law. It wasn't just the eyes of her head reading the verse. She was seeing, beholding, feeling the wonders of that verse. Everything she experienced here was truth in that verse that she was seeing, feeling, beholding, enjoying. So that's what the author of Psalm 119 does. So three steps so far about when he's facing a problem. First, he understands that he is a temporary resident here on earth, that his permanent residence is in heaven, which means that the problem he's facing now is temporary. Puts it all into perspective, starts there. Secondly, he prays and asks God, deliver me from this problem. Protect my life. Save my life. Stop these men who are seeking to uh, kill me. Second step. then third step, open my eyes. That I can behold wonderful things from your law. And then there's a crucial fourth step. And that crucial fourth step is that he meditates on God's word. Takes time. Look at verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. See, it's not enough to ask God to open the eyes of your heart. You've also need got to need, gotta sit down and open up God's word and, and meditate on God's word. Now, what does it mean to meditate? Okay, in our culture, meditation is a spiritual practice, especially from the you know, Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, where you empty your mind of thought. That is not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is you fill your mind with God's word. You think about God's word. And so to meditate on God's word means you think deeply and prayerfully about it. You mull it over in your mind prayerfully. You linger in the in the scriptures you're thinking about them. It means you you let the scriptures marinate your heart like you would marinate a tri-tip steak. Just let let it just soak in your heart. You're thinking about it prayerfully pondering it, going over it, praying, open my eyes more, help me to see this, help me to feel this. What are you you saying here by the Holy Spirit in your word? You're studying, you're thinking, you're praying. And when you do that, God will meet you. And depending on the passage, you will feel the reality of God's existence. God's making himself real to you in the word, through the truth of the word the glory of God's mercy in Christ, Jesus, you are glorious. You are majestic. You are the infinite value of the universe. I don't just know that. I'm seeing it. You'll feel the assurance of God's forgiveness just like Sarah Edwards did. I mean, when you're facing a huge problem and to have this sense of the unshakable security of your salvation in Christ, oh, that's helpful when you're facing a problem. So helpful. Helpful. You'll feel comfort of God's love. Many of you, I know, could give testimony that when you've been in the pits of difficulties and you've opened up God's word and you've prayed, God has poured his love into your heart and even though the problem is still there, you are comforted because you knew he loved you. He was going to take care of things. He's sovereign. He's in control. The power of God's sovereignty, the perfection of God's wisdom, the certainty of heaven, that's what God will do. And the result of that, verse, verse 24 your testimonies, he says, are my delight. They are my counselors. When you meet God time and time again in the pages of the scriptures, you will delight in God's word because this is where we meet the living God and the truth of his word. And then God's word will be your counselor. Your testimonies are my counselors. He will counsel you about, about all kinds of things, but especially right here, we're coming to him with problems. He will give you the big picture. Now, These are not the only steps you take when you have problems, okay? You might want to make a budget, okay? You might want to get some counsel from other people, like go to the doctor, okay? There's lots of other things you do about problems. Tangible, practical, everyday stuff, very important, okay? So don't neglect those. But nothing is more important than these because these will put the the framework on the whole thing. These will strengthen your faith. I mean, you can solve a problem and still be in unbelief at the end of the problem, so when the problem comes, strengthen your faith. I'm a, I'm a sojourner here. I'm going to heaven. Perspective. You pray, take the problem away from me, please. You say, then open my eyes so I can behold who you are and your word. And then you open up and you meditate on God's word. And he meets you and comforts you. And Then you've got a foundation on which to move ahead. And so God, what should I do about this trial? What should I do about this problem? What should I do about this difficulty? But you'll be moving into that then with faith and with assurance and with strength. And with comfort. Okay, now what questions does this stir up in your mind? Psalm 119. I am loving this psalm. I had no idea. Little idea, but not as much. So, what questions, though, about like the eyes of your heart, how this works? Yeah, yeah Paul. Uh, verse 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first part, you know, is pretty obvious to me. I remember of related to Hebrews 11, uh, living for a better country. yes. Hide not your commandments from me. Now God wouldn't physically hide His commandments from him. So, what do you take that meaning to me that God wouldn't harden His heart towards His commandments? I think it's the flip side of the previous verse. It's just another way of saying, "Open my eyes." That is, don't don't leave me in this sin blinded condition. I, I, that's that's how I've taken it. Any does that does that resonate? Does that sound right? In other words, open my eyes. Don't hide your commandments from me. If God doesn't open our eyes, then we will, his commandments will be hidden from us. So I just see those as opposite ways of praying for the same thing. Other thoughts or other questions? Maria. Oh, Joe. Maria. Maria. Um, yes. And and Jesus, I think Jesus is also saying that when we don't understand what's in Scripture, not to just gloss over it, but really go deeper into it, research it, go to other believers and talk about it. Yes. Because it really does get planted in your heart. Yes. Yes. Excellent. The parable of the sword, now that you mentioned this, I didn't think about this, but gives specific illustrations as to how sin can cloud us from feeling the truth of the word, right? Perfect. Beautiful. Thank you, Maria. Joe? You mentioned just a few things that we can problem yourself and it's still be an unbelief. Yeah. Can you kind of break that down tell us what that looks like and then show shows what it looks like to be a problem? I'll try. Let's see. Think of an example. I mean, let's say that, uh, say a medical problem, okay, and, um, and you're worried about, you know, strange pain in your side, and, um, and you don't, you don't stop and meet the Lord in it, you don't stop and say, I'm a a sojourner, you know, I mean, uh, my health, I mean, you've called me to be here, I've got a, I've got a life, you know, help me to, to live, and do what you want me to do, but, but, um. You don't do that. You just, like, go to the doctor. The doctor says, oh, it's, you know, it takes some antacids, and then you're fine, okay? But see, if, if you haven't met the Lord in that, your problem is solved, maybe, but God has been absent from the process. So, yay, that the problem is solved, but we can be functional atheists going through problems if we just go through them that way. Does that make any sense? I mean, and we all are tempted to do that. I, mean, I don't know how much time in my in my days go by. I mean, too often when I'm I'm not really conscious of the Lord, and, uh, and it's easy for us to be functional atheists. And so, so that's why I love what He does here. This is where we should start with every problem. I'm a sojourner, temporary resident here. Please, Father, take this problem from me. Now, open my eyes so I can see who You are more clearly, so I can fight the fight of faith and move into this problem in a God-centered way, and then open up the Word and meditate. Okay, now I'm meeting. I'm seeing you now. What should I do? Okay, call the tax man, or you know, go to the doctor, or take your car into the shop, or whatever it might be. Okay, does that make sense? Other other thoughts about that? Yeah. So I might just be
1: reading into this, but so if we are in faith at the end of a problem, will we glory
0: God, praise God? Yes. Thank the yep. God will be the center of it. He'll, you'll be thanking him. He will be glorified. Yeah. Ian. I apologize, it's not a question. It's more of an observation. Sure. Verse twenty three. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. It would be easy to imagine when I mean, okay, get a stomach hurt. you to go to C V S and get an acid, but if someone's trying to kill you, going to God works... Yeah. Shouldn't I be calling the police? Shouldn't I be pulling a, a bunch of guys together with you know, swords and getting ready to kill them? I mean, how do those match together? I mean, just in the same way of saying, OK, my son Let's be practical. And let's you know, look on Wikipedia or whatever and find that answer for it. The idea of going to God first, even though it seems like it's completely foreign, it doesn't make sense. It's not practical. Why would I do that? I mean, to your point, why would we be a practical the God of the universe so we take care of our needs. Yes. Yes. It may seem strange to go to him first, but he can do so much more than CBS or so magnetize his words. Yes. Yes. Excellent. That was a good comment. That was not a question, right? That was, you're, you're making, you, you asked a question and you answered it. Yeah. Okay, Chuck. Uh, follow up again. Uh, verse 17, deal logically with your servants and I get there and keep your word. I, I took this to be that there's a temptation to... Become the prince and against somebody else. And the pr- I'm sorry, the prince. Become the prince yourself. Of plotting, plotting against someone else. else okay, keep going. To okay. To take the battle your own hands, okay. And instead, may yeah, I keep your word and live according to it. Fill me with your bounty, your providence, your blessing. Good, man. All right. That's a good word. Okay, time's up. Okay, one more, real briefly, from Natasha, and then time will really be up. Yes, Yes, I'm sure there is. And we, we come to the Lord Jesus as we are. We don't try to get rid of our sin first before we come to Jesus. This is the gospel, right? Because of the cross, we can come to him as we are, right? With sins, oh, Jesus, look at this, help me. And he smiles, and he's there because of the cross. And so we we pray, we ask him to change our hearts, we confess it before him, we help me to see it more clearly, right? And then and then and we in the word, you know, uh, we meditate on the word, it'll set us free. John eight thirty one through thirty two. So I think there are correlations between this passage as a problem solving passage and this and and how to deal with sin. There's there's connections there. Got here? Okay, let's pray. I praise you for your word, how you teach us new things. And Lord, I pray for these who are up front right now, and I pray for all the rest of us, Lord, as we head into this week, when we will face problems. And I ask, Lord God, that, that this week would be different than previous weeks. That we would have sweet time acknowledging we are sojourners on the earth. We're, we're coming home soon. That that would help us that we would set everything else aside and have times where we ask you to break in and deliver us from the problem and to meet us and to solve the issue, that we would be able to pray and say, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word and then move into time meditating on your word and meeting you and that there'd be comfort given and strength imparted and hope would fill our hearts and wisdom would come about how to proceed but I pray that in these coming weeks, we each here would deal with problems differently than we have in the past. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.